want to talk to you about what is the carnal mind. This is part two. So we started last Sunday. If you missed last Sunday, it is very important that you pull that up online and listen to it. I believe there's some very valuable information that will help you to understand more of what we're talking about today. But in Exodus 17, I'm going to talk with you through this chapter. I'm not going to read everything. You can be reading it while I talk to you about it. But Israel is being delivered and they're in the wilderness now and Moses is leading them. And what is not uncommon for Israel is they're complaining and they're murmuring and chiding Moses and not happy and all of these things that are going on with their life. And so they're tempting the Lord and they're bringing accusations against Moses and Moses doesn't know what to do. And so he goes to God and God tells him what to do. He's going to strike the rock. And out of the rock is going to come water. And it's going to be enough water to feed the children of Israel. And so God is going to meet their needs. Now, we know, according to 1 Corinthians 10, that these events happened so that they could provide examples for us living today upon whom the end of the world has come. So don't just be looking at Exodus 17 and these Old Testament examples and think that there's not a fitting testimony in them for what we need to understand in the day that we're living in. Because the Bible says they are direct examples for us. And it even talks about how they fell under the judgment of God, even died in this. And um, Paul goes on into 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and then he goes into chapter 11 and says, even people in the body of Christ who are taking communion inappropriately, God is killing. And some are even sick because of their inappropriate use of the communion table. And so it's very serious, you know, what God is doing is very serious. Whether you take him seriously or not, God does. And so take this as an example for us because it is very important. So they come here and God brings water out of the rock and the children of Israel are satisfied by this miraculous provision. And God begins to bless them. Now, right after this, there is a man who is the leader of a tribe and a kingdom named Amalek who begins to fight Israel right after this event. And and it's, it's interesting how this happens. And what I want you to see from this, the, the scriptural illustration and example for us is that the rock that followed them was Christ. We know that from 1 Corinthians 10. And that the water that would come out of the rock would be the spirit of Christ, the life of Jesus Christ. And so right after this event, we have Amalek that comes and fights Israel. And what this is a shadow for us, a type for us, is that right after the death of Jesus Christ and the issue of life by his spirit that would come as a result of the cross... There would be an immediate engagement engagement with a new type of warfare that you as the child of God enter into. And that is a battle with Amalek. And Amalek represents the flesh. And before you were born again, you didn't have a fight with the flesh. You were just a slave to it. You had no fighting with it. You just did whatever it said. And there was no contest and there was no battle because the flesh was your king. The flesh was your master. And it received its power through just satanic influence and lust 
that were in us. And so that was going on. But when you were born again, you immediately became engaged in a brand new warfare. And that is a warfare with your flesh. And now you contend with it and you battle with it. And this is where a lot of Christians get discouraged. And a lot of Christians become very uh, faint-hearted. Maybe they want to quit. Maybe they're just saying, you know, I tried the Jesus thing and it didn't work for me. And these are the things that Amalek makes us feel like. And so he tells us he's in this battle with Amalek. And they fight. In verse 9, Moses told Joshua to choose out men. And he says, go and fight with Amalek. There's no sign of a truce. There's no sign of a compromise. Go fight Amalek. Make war with him. And he says, tomorrow I will stand on the top of the hill with the rod of God in my hand. So Joshua did as Moses had said to him and fought with Amalek. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. It came to pass when Moses, is, Moses held up his hand that Israel prevailed. When he let down his hand, Amalek prevailed. And Moses' hands were very heavy, and they took a stone and put it under him, and he sat there. Aaron and Hur held up his hands, the one on one side, the other on the other. His hands were steady till the sun went down. And Joshua, discomfited, overcame Amalek and his people with the edge of the sword. And the Lord said to Moses, write this for a memorial in a book. Rehearse it in the ears of Joshua. For I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. And Moses built an altar and called the name of it Jehovah Nissi. For he said, because the Lord hath sworn that the Lord will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. And so this is what I want to talk about tonight, today. What is the carnal mind? And we're looking at Amalek as a type of the flesh and the battle that we're in. As God told Moses, you're to go out and fight Amalek. You're not to make a truce with him or some type of compromise. Choose men, go fight him, and do war with him. I'm going to go pray. And as you understand the nature of this battle, it was supernatural. The victory that Joshua was enjoying against Amalek really had nothing to do with Joshua and the men of Israel that were fighting but it had everything to do with the posture of Moses in the mountain. It was a supernatural victory. And that just shows us, guys, that the battle with your flesh is not going to be won simply because you have some good people around you that are willing to hold you accountable. But the, big, the victory over your flesh is a supernatural victory. That comes in a supernatural means. And it doesn't mean you don't fight it. You're going to have to fight it. You're going to have to face your flesh. And you're going to have to deal with your flesh. And if you can get some people in your life. That you can be accountable to. That will fight with you. You're going to need that. But don't ever think that your victory over your flesh. Is going to be by your strength or the strength of people. The victory over your flesh is supernatural. And it is by the deliverance and the power of God. And as we seek the Lord and as we intercede and we pray to God, then the victory over our flesh comes. 
Another thing that's very interesting that we're going to talk about this morning is God has vowed that I will have war with Amalek from one generation to the next. So Amalek's going to be on the scene in humanity for quite a long time. He's still around today. And God is going to have conflict with him from generation to generation. But praise God, the Lord prophetically declares there is coming a day when I will get rid of Amalek and he will no longer have any influence under the sun. Praise God. And so that tells us that in this present moment of time that we're living in, God is dealing with Amalek. God is dealing with the flesh. But there's coming a day, even with you, that as long as you're in this body, you're going to fight Amalek. He's not going away as long as you're in that house. You're going to have your flesh and you're going to deal with your flesh and you're going to war with your flesh. And that's going to happen. But there's coming a day, a beautiful day, when God is going to put away from you Amalek or your flesh and you'll never fight it again. It'll be absolutely over. And so these are the things that we're going to talk about this morning that I think are, are really important. I want you to remember, if you will, that Amalek is the grandson of Esau. And Esau is Edom. Now Esau was the brother of Jacob. And Esau was a man of the earth. He was a hunter. He was a man's man. He would be the kind of man that most people would like and gravitate to and just had all of this. Jacob would not be the kind of man that people like. Jacob would, would be um, more of a swindler, more of a cheater, very selfish, very self-centered, getting himself into trouble, making deals, all of that. And he would be the kind of man that most people are leery of, cautious of. But Esau's just straight up guy. What you see is what you get. And Esau's father really loved him. Jacob's mother loved Jacob. And so you're going to see this contention with Jacob and Esau this morning and some of the things that we're going to talk about. But Esau was at a point in his life where he was very hungry. He had been out hunting and he encounters Jacob who made some soup. And Esau feels like he's going to die. So he goes to Jacob and he says, give me something to eat or I'm going to die. And Jacob says, give me your birthright. Sell me your birthright for the bowl of soup and I'll give you some soup. And Esau says, well, what good is my birthright if I'm going to die? So give me the soup, take my birthright. And the Bible says that Esau despised his birthright. That's very important because Esau is the grandfather of Amalek. Esau is also Edom, who was a source of contention for Israel in the wilderness and so what you really find is Israel, when they're in the wilderness, is dealing mostly with Esau. And he's, they're dealing mostly with an entity that despises the birthright. Amalek would go on to despise the birthright and have no right to it. And so that's important for you to remember. We're going to talk about that. But in Genesis 36, and we had talked about this last week as well, but in Genesis 36, 30, 31, it says that there were kings who reigned in Edom before there was ever a king that reigned in Israel. And Israel is Jacob. And so remember that. Because your freedom from Amalek, your freedom from the flesh, can only occur 
If you come under a new kingdom, and that is the kingdom of Jesus Christ. But the Edomite king comes first. And so when you were born, you were born subjected as a slave to sin and to your flesh. Your flesh, if you will, was your king operating under the kingdom of hell and Satan. Where the flesh would derive its enticing and its lust and everything. When Jesus was born in the earth of a virgin, he was not born in sin. And he was not conceived in sin. And he was holy. And therefore, he was not the slave of his flesh. And he had no relationship with the kingdom of darkness. Nor enticed by the kingdom of darkness. Because Jesus was absolutely perfect and holy. But he was fully man. So Jesus was never under that kingdom. But Jesus was the coming king. Who would deliver men from Amalek or from their flesh. And he is your only hope and your only deliverance. From the flesh. And so I just want you to understand that. Now what I want to talk about. In regards to that. Or in regards to the flesh. Is what is the carnal mind. And I want you to turn with me to Romans chapter 8. And I want I want you to notice. Just a few scriptures here. And there's a parallel passage with this. That is found in Galatians chapter 5. And so if you would just turn to Galatians 5 as well. I think it would be helpful to us. But in Romans chapter 8, we have a remarkable testimony here that I want to focus on. And it says this, that in, in, in Romans 8, verse 5, it says, They that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God and neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. But it doesn't say they won't try to please God. But they cannot. And Paul would deal with people in Galatia. Who made a good show after the flesh. They really tried. They really made a great advancement in the flesh to look godly. But this is beautiful. Verse 9. You are not in the flesh but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Period. Isn't that great? I mean praise God. That is wonderful. Carnally minded is death. Carnally minded cannot please God, but spiritually minded is life and spiritually minded pleases God. And so what is it to be spiritual? It is for the spirit of God to live in you. It's the new birth, guys. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to add to this. I'm not going to put all of these uh, demands and these hoops that you've got to jump through and you've got to do and you've got to become and all of these things you've got to check off in order for you to now, quote, be spiritual. Just right here in the context of this passage, it says this. We're going to read it again. Verse 9. You are not in the flesh. Now, I, I wonder how many of you can really believe that. 
How many of you can really believe that? If you're born again, you're not in the flesh anymore. What does that mean? It means that the king you lived your whole life under is dead. But you're going to fight with him. From one generation to the next, you're going to fight with him until God puts Amalek out from under the heaven forever. All right? But here it is. And I, I, I love this because I believe it. You are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. But if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. That is beautiful. Y'all, that is the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's, it's like if you're in the flesh, you're going to die. You're at enmity with God. So how do you get out of the flesh? You get born again. And when you're born again, you're no longer in the flesh. Now, that's deep. That is deep right there. And it's deep, especially for those that have lived their whole life under a Christian system of teaching that has habitually mixed Moses in with the new covenant. And it's very difficult to understand that. But the Bible says very clearly that you're not in the flesh if the spirit of God dwells in you. And that is a wonderful thing. Now, I want to talk about this for just a second because for an understanding of this, there is a sense that Christians can be carnal. The Apostle Paul says he was carnal in Romans chapter 7. But that is a totally different word and meaning from carnally minded in Romans chapter 8. As a matter of fact, Paul also said to the Corinthians, as he called them brothers and Christians, he said of them in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, you are carnal. But he did not say they were carnally minded. And he did not say they were of the flesh. But he just said they were carnal, which means that they're operating and in, in their own strength or ability to understand the things of God, which you cannot understand in your natural mind. And so Paul even said there were times in his life in Romans 7 that he lived in a carnal state like that. But he wasn't carnally minded because the carnal mindedness or the flesh in Romans chapter 8 specifically means the satanic principle. That dwells in lost men. It is the satanic principle. If you will. It is the nature of sin. It is the nature of rebellion. It is the nature of unbelief. That is carnal minded. Romans 8. To be carnally minded. Or the flesh. Which is basically the same word. It means that you're still in a state of rebellion against God. You're still in a state of enmity against God and you have not repented and you have not been born again. So to be free of the carnal minded or to be free from the flesh means that the spirit of God has come to live in you. And how does the spirit of God come to live in you? It is because you recognize that you are a sinner 
and you have no ability to save yourself. You cannot improve yourself. Amalek cannot be compromised with. I have to renounce this way of the flesh. I have to renounce this carnal mindedness as though somehow, some way, I can become better and do better and live better and be more godly with the help of God. But I've got to do it too. You renounce that way. Because the flesh cannot please God even though it may try. And you realize that your only hope is through the power of the Spirit of God. And when you are born again, you are no longer fleshly. Now you will battle it. This is the new war that you begin to fight and you will contend with it. But you're free from it. It's not your master anymore. You've renounced that way of life. So we're going to go to Galatians chapter 5 in understanding this. But I want you to see this in Ephesians chapter 2 first. This is the sin principle. This is the satanic principle that is at work in the flesh. That we're talking about. In Ephesians 2 it says. You hath he quickened. Who were dead in trespasses and sins. Wherein in time past. You walked according to the course of this world. According to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now works. In the children of disobedience. That is the satanic principle. That is the sin nature. That is in man. That you are living according to the course of the world. The prince of the power of the air. And there is a spirit that works in the children of disobedience. That is carnal minded. That is the flesh. That is the sin principle. That is death and enmity with God. And to get out of that. It is not just the fact that you've realized you've done something wrong. You realize that you are fundamentally wrong. That the principle of sin and the nature of sin, it lives in you. Excuse me. And it operates in you. And so you renounce that. You renounce that way. And you renounce all possibilities of you making compromises with the flesh and you put it to death. And you reckon it dead and you embrace the life of Jesus Christ. When a person does that, they're no longer flesh. They're no longer carnally minded. And there are multitudes of Christians that have a very difficult time believing that. And they're stuck in Romans 7. Because they have a hard time believing that. Now in Galatians chapter 5. Which is a passage of scripture. That is really redundant. Of Romans 7 and 8. It's just a lot shorter. Paul tells us this. He says in Galatians 5.13. For brothers you have been called to liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh. But by love serve one another. For all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even in this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another. Take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say then. Walk in the spirit. You shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. They're there. You're going to battle it. But you don't have to follow it anymore. 
For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. And that's what Paul says in Romans 7. What I know I should do, I don't do. What I know I shouldn't do is what I do. It's this battle. So walk in the spirit. That's the answer. The answer is not getting the flesh to behave. And the answer is not your willpower. And the answer is not knowing what is right and what is wrong. The answer is walk in the spirit. He gives you the power and the life and the victory over the lust that are in the flesh. Now only a born again person can do this. Person that's not born again does not have the spirit of God to walk in. They don't have the spirit of God to be led by. But if you be led of the spirit, you are not under the law. For the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelings, all of these things, such the like, I tell you before, as I've also told you in times past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. They that are Christ have crucified the flesh. They've renounced the flesh. They've renounced the rebellion of the flesh, the way of the flesh, with the affections and lust. And so if we live in the Spirit, let us walk in the Spirit. And this is the victory that we have over the flesh and over Amalek. You cannot compromise with your flesh. You know, and here's New Year's. People make New Year's resolutions. You know, maybe you'll do it. Maybe you won't. You won't do it. Maybe you'll make a good show in the flesh and look pretty godly. Paul said to, to uh, Timothy that in the last days there's going to be a lot of godly looking people, but they have no power in their life. And they're really not godly in their heart. They're very corrupt and very vile. And so we have to understand that the answer to the flesh is death. It has to be warred against. And it has to be crucified. And so back in Romans chapter 8. How do you war against the flesh? By the spirit. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. By the spirit. And so that is the supernatural victory that we have. But the flesh has to be fought. Just like Amalek had to be fought. And we have to deal with that. And so I pray you study this. It's, it's a fascinating study. But I'll tell you there is so much joy in believing and understanding this great gospel. That to be carnally minded. You know being carnally minded. You know you might think of it sometimes like you get up and you're going to work on Monday. And you get a little bit late. And now you're in traffic. And it seems like the whole city is in a conspiracy against you. To make you even more late for work. And every traffic light turns red just when you're there and you just all of a sudden you're fussing at everybody and you're losing your temper at people and you're just going crazy in the car you say oh my gosh I'm so carnal I'm so well you might be carnal but you're not carnally minded anymore because you're born again you're just not that anymore you've renounced that way all right but you might wrestle with some of those lusts but it doesn't mean you're dead and you're going to hell and you're lost from Christ because you've renounced that way of life and you're trusting in the Lord. And so dealing with this just a little bit more, God's no compromise with Amalek. You see that back in Exodus 17, that he was not to have anything to do with it. He was to make war with it and he was to fight it. The devil's business is to prevent you stepping into this freedom. 
That's the devil's business. The devil's business and the only avenue, the, the real, really the only tool that the devil has to work with is your flesh. And though you are delivered from your flesh and you're delivered from its power and you're delivered from all of the wrath of God against the flesh, you still carry it around and you have to war with it. And so the devil operates in that flesh and he incites its lust and everything else and tries to distract you because everything he's trying to do is to keep you from living in the victory and the promise of Jesus Christ. And so God says, walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And Satan says, walk, walk perfectly in the flesh so you can walk in the spirit. And, and, and please don't, don't even insinuate that you as a Christian have not struggled with that line that the devil gives us. If you want to walk in the spirit, get your flesh to start behaving, get it all in line, make it look right, deal with all sin in your life and cut it out and stop it and walk holy for three days and then you're walking in the spirit. But no, no, no. That's what the devil tells you. But what God tells you is this, walk in the spirit right now just as you are so you won't be in the flesh anymore. We're trying to get the flesh to behave so we can be spiritual and God's trying to tell us, get rid of the flesh and you are spiritual. And the way you do that is you renounce it. You repent of it. And you turn to God. Our churches are filled with Esau's. Filled with Esau's. And these Esau's are probably the most well-regarded and respected citizens of the church world. But the Jacobs are despised in the church. Those whose flesh has been exposed and whose weaknesses have been seen and whose trickery and deceitfulness and self-centeredness and cryings and belly achings and weepings and time and time and time and time again in an altar begging God, do something with me. These are the people that tend to be the ones in the church world that are not highly regarded or loved, but it's those Esau's, I don't need an altar. I don't need to cry. I don't need to pray. I don't need to be up front. Nobody needs to see me weak. Nobody needs to see me broken. Nobody, everybody just needs to try to understand I am this strong man and I've got it together and I've got problems like everybody else has problems. And we're full of Esau's. And those are the people that are usually respected and trusted. But it's those Jacobs who are just crying out in public, wrestling with God through the night in front of everybody on the altar, saying to God, there is nothing I can do with myself. I hate Jacob. Bless me, God. They're in altars day after day, week after week. They're crying in front of people because they're so sick of their self. So sick of it. And our churches are filled with that. First New Testament church is filled with that. The Esau's and the Jacob's. It really is. Pentecostal churches all over are filled with that. You don't find people like Jacob in an altar. But God says, Esau have I hated. But Jacob have I loved. And what does the Bible mean by that? It meant this, that God... Took that way of Esau who despised the birthright. And God understood with a man like that, I can do nothing. 
Because no flesh is going to glory in my sight. And all Esau will ever do is steal my glory. He will not let me be his answer. He will let me be his help. But not his answer. And he will give me verbal accolades. For he knows I'm the God of his father. But he will not let me be his God. He professes me. He professes that he knows me. But Jacob. How I love him. He's so messed up. He's so bad. He's so unfixable. He has ruined his life. And everybody knows it. And I can do something with that. And that's the difference. Between Jacob and Esau. Some of you are Esau. Some of you are Jacob. You have to know that. You have to let God have that work in your life. So I come to this in closing. It's Deuteronomy 25. And I want you to see this. He says in Deuteronomy 25. It's very important. God makes this statement in verse 18. Um, I'm sorry. Verse 17. Remember what Amalek did to you, by the way, when you were come out of Egypt. How he met you, by the way, and smote the hindmost of you, those that lagged behind. That's who Amalek got. Those that were feeble, that's who Amalek got. When you were faint and you were weary, that's who Amalek got. And those that did not fear God. That's who Amalek got. And that's who the flesh is going to get. That's who the flesh is going to get. You lag behind. You're not solidly in the church. You're not actively in the body of Christ where you need to be. The flesh already got you and you know it. You know the flesh already has you. It's got the best of you. Or you're tired and you're weary. And the flesh has already got you. Or you don't fear God. And the flesh has already got you. So the Lord says remember what Amalek did. And I say this to you as I close beloved. Remember what the flesh has done to you. Why would you ever try to agree with it? Why would you ever try to compromise with it? Why would you ever try to make a deal with something so awful? Something that hates God so much. Don't ever make a deal with your flesh. But yet we do. We make vows and we strive and we work to no avail. And that's what Paul says to the Galatians. Hey, walk in the spirit because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. But the works of the flesh. And that was the problem with the Galatians, wasn't it? We want to be holy. We want to be more holy than we are. And so people came in and told the Galatians, well, if you really want to be holy, you need to start keeping the law. And Paul says, wait a minute. If you do that, you've fallen from grace. So go ahead, work away, work as hard as you can. At the end of the day, this is all your work is going to produce. Adultery, idolatry, fornication, murder. That's all that the flesh can produce. But the fruit can produce, the spirit can produce love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and gentleness. So remember that vile thing of your flesh. Now I want to remind you of this. He's not telling you to remember your sins. He's telling you to remember Amalek 
I'm not trying to tell you to remember all of your sins of your past that are under the blood. For even God says in Hebrews 10, your sins and iniquities, I will remember no more. If God's not going to remember them, why would you? God has put your sins away behind his back. Isaiah says that God has placed your sins in the depth of the sea is what Micah said. Isaiah said that though your sins were scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. So I'm not telling you to remember your sins. And I say that to you because some people think that the means to true holiness is digging up all of your sins and making sure that you faced every one of them one on one. But I just say deal with that flesh who's the source of it all. And condemn and renounce that flesh. There are people that want to make merchandise over your soul. Everything that you need from God will come if you will do this and you will do that. If you will believe on Jesus Christ and walk in the spirit, he will cause you to confess whatever sin you need to confess. He will cause you to deal with it soundly. And sin should be confessed to God if there is sin in our life. We should repent of it. We should make restitution where the spirit of God is telling us to make restitution. But the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the one that brings up our sins. People that advocate things like this on Facebook and they want to bring some Christian down or some Christian ministry down or something like this. And they want to go and blast somebody. That's that's Satan at work. Satan's the accuser of the brethren. You want to go talk about somebody's sins to somebody else. That is Satan at work in you. Satan is the accuser of the brethren. We should have no part of that. We should not want him to have anything in us. But remember Amalek, the dirty well, the poisoned root, the mystery of lawlessness is Amalek. The rebellion against grace is Amalek. He opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped. And as God, he sits in the temple of God trying to show himself that he is God. Put him down, take him off the throne, renounce him and kill him. And let Jesus sit on that throne and honor only the Lord. And when Amalek comes because you're faint and you're weary or you're tired or you're lagging behind, don't say, well, this is just a season that I'm in. Brother, don't ever let that be a season that you're in. You're in a war. And you need to get to the middle of the group. And you need to thrive in the middle of the group. And you need to war against Amalek. Supernaturally through the victory of Jesus Christ. Father we thank you that you have given us such victory over the flesh. Over the nature of sin. Over the principle of rebellion and enmity against you. Father we thank you that you've caused us to see. That the multitudes of our wrongdoings has manifested the greater problem. And that is the principle, the nature of sin that exists within us. And we dethrone that nature. And we dethrone that flesh and that carnal mind. And we submit to you and to your way. And that the Spirit of God may live in us. And truly if the Spirit of God is in us. We are spiritual. We are no longer carnally minded or flesh. We're free. We're free. And now we're free to walk in the spirit. And have victory over the flesh. And over its lust. 
and to be done with that, God. We give you the glory and all of the praise. There may be things that the Holy Spirit's putting his finger on in your life and you're trying to vow to do better. Esau vows to do better. But Jacob wrestles with God and says, Bless me. And beloved, if you were to really look at that, what Jacob is crying out to God in that bless me, it's grace me. Grace me. Do something in my life that I can't do for myself. I'm sick of who I am. You change me. And Jacob became Israel by the grace of God. And that's how we become, by the grace of God. Praise the Lord, it's that way. It gives hope to everybody. It gives hope to everybody. And I ask you with all of my heart that you would consider your own life. Are you a Jacob or are you an Esau? Are you a man that just needs a little help? Give me another start. Let me make a new vow. Well, you're already beat. Are you a Jacob? Desperate for God. God loves Jacob. God hates the flesh. Thank God we can be free.